What happens when God's people turn their eyes to Jesus in a season of prayer? They fall more in love with him and his love falls on them. They see how God moves in his kingdom as their hearts tune into what he wants for their lives and this troubled world. They are inspired and emboldened for they have been in the very throne room of God. They have fixed their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. Remain in my love. I am the way and the truth and the life. Press deeper into the heart of the Father to pray and to be what his will is. We will be people of intentional, spirit-filled prayer that is not bound by time, expectation, or limitations. Well, I was reading this article on Australian ranchers because I obviously have too much time on my hand. And it was talking about the challenge they have with such large pieces of land, large herds of animals. And they described that there are two main approaches to how they corral and keep those animals safe and well-fed. One is kind of the traditional way that we might be familiar with is that you build fences around the property line and you fence in the herd of animals. And the challenge with that is it's a very expensive initial investment and then it becomes, it becomes challenging, time-consuming, and expensive to maintain these fences around the property. The second methodology that the article talked about was that the owner of the ranch would find someone to dig a well where they wanted the animals to stay in the property rather than build fences around the outside. So rather than put boundaries and corral the animals in, they would draw the animals to a source of life that they wouldn't stray far from. And I tell you that because we're in week two of our prayer series. And for me, these are two different ways that I've approached prayer in my life. One is a negative way, I think, in some ways, in terms of its boundaries, its limitations. And I've seen the Christian faith as a set of rules and obligations and duties. And there are great callings on our lives as believers, but that can lead to our detriment. So growing up, prayer was just one more thing on my list. It was this constraint, this boundary, where I was supposed to just do this thing. I think when we approach prayer as an obligation or a boundary, it can produce guilt and remorse in our own life. But the second methodology that the ranchers use where they dug the well, I think this is a more approachable way to prayer. When you see it as a source of life, I'm going to find joy in prayer. I'm going to want to seek God out and spend time with him and have a willing heart when I participate in this. So today I want to dig into a little bit of the purpose of prayer and then look into the aspect of to whom are we actually praying. Because if these aren't locked in, they can drive our prayer life in very unhealthy things. 
So prayer is very common around the country, around the globe. Barna and Pew Research, they do studies every few years, every decade, and they take stats on the number of people that pray. And over the last handful of decades, these numbers have remained relatively consistent. In the U.S., 55% of Americans say they pray daily. 80% of Americans say they pray monthly. If you expand the geography to the rest of the world, 49% of people around the globe say they pray daily. My guess, though, is that we aren't aligned in why we're praying and to whom we are praying. And Pastor Greg mentioned last week that many atheist people, many people who do not believe that a God exists, pray. So in their mind, what is the purpose of prayer and to whom are they praying? I think the unique angle that the Christian has is that we have a God who gives unique guidance for Christians on how we pray, to whom we pray, and the purpose of prayer. So if you're taking notes, first thought today I want to emphasize is that prayer has to be rooted in the correct image of God and our identity in Christ. These are the two things. We have to have a correct image image of God and then live out our prayer life because we have identity in Christ and what he's done. The Bible references prayer 375 times and Jesus models prayer. There are over 25 accounts in the gospels of Jesus praying. And some of those were plural accounts. And I spent some time the last few weeks kind of digging into these passages and looking at how Jesus approached prayer, what was his posture and what was he even praying about. We see Jesus pray in private. We see Jesus pray in public. We see Jesus pray before big decisions, before miracles, after miracles, for his disciples, for us, for future believers, for meals, in times of joy, in times of anguish. But the one common thing I saw for Jesus was that prayer was his lifeline. And if you look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it starts out with identity and affirmation. In the Gospel of Matthew, you see Jesus being baptized, and you see Father, Son, and Spirit, all three present in this one singular moment. So Jesus is baptized, and the Spirit of God descends like a dove upon him. And then we hear the voice of the Father say, "'This is my Son with whom I am well pleased.'" And then he's sent out into ministry. So Jesus, we see, had a firm identity in who he was with the Father, and he had a great relationship with the Father, so he knew his character, and he had a healthy image of God the Father. I heard an account years ago of a Civil War soldier that was just dejected about his assignment and being away from his family. And so he gathered his belongings and he went to the White House because he thought, if I can just get time with President Lincoln, he will hear my case and make everything right. So he decides to walk up to the White House, a little bit different than the White House today. And at the door to the White House, there were armed soldiers. And he explained his case to the soldiers. And they said, we're sorry, sir. President Lincoln cannot see you today. And he pleaded and pleaded, but to no avail. And the soldier walked away, and he took a seat in a field nearby, and his head were in his hands, and he was just dejected. And shortly thereafter, there was a, a boy who was playing nearby, and he saw this soldier who was just in agony. And the boy approached the soldier and said, Sir, what, what is wrong with you today? 
And the soldier kind of shared a little bit of his story and just said he'd hoped to meet with President Lincoln, but he couldn't get access. And so the boy says, well, come on, follow me. We can get this done. And the soldier was kind of shocked in that moment, didn't know what to believe, but he thought, what's the worst that could happen? So he, he gets his belongings and he follows this young boy to the White House. And sure enough, in front of him, the same soldiers are blocking his path. And the boy leading the way, and as he gets closer to the soldiers, he notices something different. The soldiers move out of the way, and the boy opens the door and walks in. And the soldier is just beside himself. He doesn't even know what's going on. And the soldier follows the boy into the White House. They follow a few hallways, and they go to a door, and he opens the door. And on the other side of that door is President Lincoln. And the soldier has no idea what's going on. But President Lincoln says, hi, son, Tad, his son. And the soldier realizes in that moment that he gained access to the father through the son. And this is the Christian journey. We have a heavenly father. We were reconciled by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We now have access to the father because of what the son has done. And then Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So we can have access to the creator of the universe at any moment for anything because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And when we have identity in who God the Father is, and we know we have access because of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we can approach prayer with full confidence, with boldness, because of Jesus' completed work on the cross. And I love when I think about the, the Lord's Prayer. It follows this pathway of recognizing who God is, and it begins with our Father. and identifies who He is. But for so many of us, this term Father is such a loaded word. When we think of Father, do we connect Him with our earthly Father who may or not be that good? Is the image good? Is it someone we want to be around? Is it someone that wants us to be around? And I was trying to think through this week if we have the incorrect image of God the Father, how that can propel our prayer life into unhealthy areas. And so for me, if I think God is too small, I won't bring big prayers to him. If he's too big, I won't feel comfortable coming to him or I won't bring my small prayers to him. If I believe he's a genie, he's only there to serve me, and I'll become disappointed when I don't get what I want. If he's an impersonal force, I'll have no confidence because he has no care or relationship. If he's distant, I won't come to him or I might with obligation. If, he, if God determines everything, what's the point of my prayers? And lastly, if God is wrathful, purely wrathful, I will live with burden and guilt because I'll never be enough. So the question for you today is, what is your image of God the Father? Do you have an accurate biblical image of who he is? This becomes shaped over time by our knowledge of the word and our experience with God. And if we have an unhealthy image, our prayer life will suffer. It will veer off or we'll just stay away because of guilt or hopelessness. And for me, I love just journeying through scripture and seeing God reveal himself. because That's what it is, cover to cover, is God revealing himself to humanity. But one of the most poignant places in all of Scripture of seeing the heartbeat of God the Father is this parable of the prodigal son. And in Luke chapter 15, it talks about there is a son who asked for his inheritance early, basically desires for his father to be dead. And it says this boy takes his inheritance and goes away to a far land. And he squanders this wealth on just wild and reckless living. 
Well, a famine hits and his money runs out and he decides to journey back to his father, but not as a son, as a slave, because he knows that his dad has slaves who work for him. So he develops his speech and he starts the long journey back to home. And he's walking up and what the text doesn't say is that his father, who we need the image of, is standing there on the porch with his arms crossed, a scowl on his face, and waiting to hear his son's confession. But no, what it says, and this is so unusual for a Jewish man in first century Palestine, is it says that the man was on the porch day and night waiting for his son. And when he saw him far off, the man got up out of his seat, ran out to his son. Before he could say a word, he hugs him, he kisses him, he embraces him. He puts a ring on his finger that says, you are a part of the family. And then he throws the party. This is an image of God the Father. Someone who has a deep love for those who are lost and far away. Who has pursued us through his son. And I love in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, in my mind, I separated the people of, of God the Father and Jesus the Son. I saw Jesus the Son in Scripture, and I loved how he interacted with sinners and broken people. But God the Father seemed more distant. Until one day I read this passage in Hebrews 1, 3. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. So they're distinct people. But when we see Jesus interact with humanity, we're seeing the heart of God the Father. When he's spending time with the woman at the well, that's God the Father's heart right there. When he's defending the woman caught in adultery, that's God the Father right there. When he's embracing tax collectors and sinners, that is God the Father right there. So what we have to do, church, is find the correct image of God. And when we do, it'll propel our faith in an amazing way because of who Jesus is and the identity that we have in him. And so for me, Hebrews 4, 16, the same book, but a few chapters later, it says this. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence because we have standing, not because of our own merit, but because God has sent his son and given us life now and invited us into the family of God as sons and daughters. So we approach the throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy from God and find grace to help us in our time of need. Identity, image of God, drives out our faith. We have to know that God is caring, that he's capable, and we always have access to the creator of the universe. Second thought for us this morning about the purpose of prayer. Prayer is about consistently connecting to the source of life. I would ask, what is your purpose for praying? There's a variety of them, but I, I think prayer is about consistently connecting to the, the source of life. So back to the Australian ranching example. Is it a boundary thing, a task list, this, this obligation thing that you must do? Or is it coming to the source of life? When we saw Jesus in his ministry and how he modeled prayer, I would argue that he saw time with God the Father as coming to the source of life. Jesus was not a great church worker in, in our mind. He would have these great messages. He would have incredible miracles. There would be just crowds of hundreds and thousands around. And Jesus didn't go and minister again to them, but he would draw away to a quiet place. 
he would leave ministry and he would go be with the father because he knew that was more important because the lifeline and time with his father was so important to him. And this is why Jesus was so successful in ministry. And we see other people who put such a value on prayer. One example is contemporary philosopher John Bon Jovi. And he penned the words in this song. He says, whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, living on a prayer. Take my hand, we'll make it, I swear. Whoa, living on a prayer. And I don't know all the lyrics to that song, but I'm sure it's rooted in the Christian prayer and community. And now you're going to have that song stuck in your head for the rest of your day. You're welcome for that. But what he's saying is that there's life in prayer. And this is what Jesus is inviting us into, that he is the source of life for prayer. If you have your Bibles with you or on your devices, we're going to spend some time in John chapter 15. And this is a phenomenal book of the Bible. And, and life is this prominent theme in the gospel of John the author, through the Holy Spirit, uses the word 36 times. He uses the word life 36 times. And Jesus identifies himself as this source of life. And then fruit and life flows out of that relationship. So it's nine verses. Hang with me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Relationship. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He is the life source. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. There is no life found outside of him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words, that's significant, abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus gives this imagery of a vine and, and branches, and he's saying that I am this vine. I am the source of life. But if this branch, if these grapes were removed from this vine, they might show life for a little bit, but eventually they're going to wither and die. And they won't fulfill the purpose that that, that vine had for them, is to bear fruit over and over again. And grapes can't grow on their own. They need to be connected to a source of life. And I don't know if many of us are familiar with the idea of vines and branches and grapes and those sorts of things. So I try to think of a, a current example that may be applied in the same way. We just finished a road trip down to the great country of Texas, spent some time on the beach. It was incredible. And as we prepare for this trip, all our kids, uh, our two kids get their, their supplies, their activities, their electronics, whatever. And my daughter, one of hers is a Kindle Fire. And she has books on there and drawing tools and games and whatever else. But most of these games operate through Wi-Fi. So we got to our hotel in Denton, Texas. And as soon as we walk in, the first thing both of my kids say is, what's the Wi-Fi password? They knew that this Kindle couldn't 
maximize its potential unless it was connected to the Wi-Fi network. It couldn't do what it was designed to do. The, the network was its source of life. In the same way, this is what Jesus is calling us to. He's saying, I am the only source of life. Stay connected to me and you will bear much fruit. Yet so often I go to other things to find life. And it seems like it's fulfilling for a short, short term, but in the end it provides no life whatsoever. And Jesus beckons back and says, come to me and I will give you life. In the same gospel in John 10, 10, he says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Prayer is one of our access points, our main access point into connecting to the source of life, the person of Jesus. And if you think about it, prayer is actually a step of faith. You're believing something. And what I think there's also like a faith muscle. Prayer is, uh, strengthens our faith muscle over time. If you go to the gym or exercise, you stress your muscles so they can handle more weight. And I think prayer is this tool to stretch and to build and to grow our faith. So God calls us to connect to the source, to invest our time, and we'll bear fruit. Last thought this morning. And this, I think, clarifies for me. There are many purposes, but I think this is the primary purpose of prayer. The primary purpose of prayer is relationship with God, period. Our asking flows out of surrendering to God and the authority of his words. Those are both hugely important with prayer. And I know what I've seen in my life over my, my number of years is that any relationship that I desire to grow, it calls for me and the other person to invest time. So my wife, my two kids, my close friends, my small group, like for these relationships to be kept up, I have to invest time. They have to invest time. And what I've seen with my wife and kids and friends, that quantity time will yield quality time. So I can have a lot of time with my kids and we have a great time, but maybe it's just not memorable. But if I invest enough of this time, I'll have these incredible moments and memories that are made. And I think our faith is the same way too. We're called to invest consistent time with God. And then over the years, we'll see fruit and these amazing quality times with him. But if the primary purpose of prayer is asking, is getting, then that will drive our expectations. And then if God doesn't perform and behave as we desire him to, then we become disappointed and we walk away and we punt our faith. But asking is not the primary purpose. Communing relationship with God is the primary purpose of prayer. I love back in John 15 verse 7. Notice these words. He says, if you abide in me, relationship, and my words abide in you, guidance, filter, boundaries. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So it's not that we never ask, but we see that the connection is the source of life. And then we have God's words in Scripture. So we have to be well-versed in the Bible. And then we come and we surrender to God. And we ask knowing that He is sovereign and knows greater than I do. And if you think about the structure of the Lord's Prayer, it kind of follows this pattern. There is who God the Father is, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy, his character, 
And then beyond that, it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There is a surrender prayer before there's any asking about our daily bread or forgiveness or any of that. So there's identity, there's image of God, there's surrender, and then there becomes asking. I love the example towards the end of Jesus' life. He's praying the night before he's put to death, and he and his disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're praying. He's praying. They're, they're falling asleep. They're not quite praying. But what, what Jesus is there just pouring his heart out because he knew the agony, the pain both spiritually and physically that was ahead of him on the cross. And what he says to God the Father is, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup which is sacrifice. Take this cup from me, but not my will. Thy will be done. Jesus is asking for something, but it's all couched in relationship and surrender. And this is what guides our prayer life. It's relationship. It's connecting to the source of life. And then the asking, we ask for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done, and then our specific needs in life. And church, I believe today that Jesus is inviting each of us individually and then corporately as a body to press into and connect to the source of life, Jesus himself. What if we were intentional? What if I was intentional about praying this way? And it's been different the last few weeks for me. I've been approaching prayer every day like saying, you are my source of life, Jesus. And it's been such a different approach I've never had before. And there's been so much fruit in me because of this. So what if we each said we were connecting to the source of life? Prayer is this tool. And when I'm at my best and praying consistently, seeing Jesus' source, I live differently. I have less anxiety, and that's not the goal of prayer. That's a result of prayer. I have less anxiety. I'm more loving. I'm more caring. I'm more sensitive to the Spirit of God. And so if you imagine each of us individually step in and connect to the source of life. But then beyond that, you multiply that, and you say, what if the body of King of Kings, what if we each began to press in? What would the results be? We would be an unprecedented overflow of our connection with God and his love would overflow into our lives. That's what this passage says, that you will bear much fruit. So in our homes, they would look different. Our marriages would look different. Our places of work, our communities, and our city would change drastically because we are connected to the source of life. And family, there are some great opportunities this month I want to invite you to. There's an incredible experiential room in the well that we can pray through. I've been in there a couple different times. It's incredible. There's online prayer gatherings where you can just be on through Zoom. You can help lead prayer gatherings each month. So I invite you to our website. So let me pray for us as we wrap worship this morning. So Jesus, uh, we just surrender to you this morning. We see you as greater than. We see you as worthy of all our affections. God, I pray this morning that we have a correct image of who you are. If there's some unhealth, if there's some dysfunction, if there are just ways that our prayer life has not been affected because we're missing the image of God, clarify that today. Lord, let us have joy because we are connecting to the source of life. And I pray that each of us in these upcoming weeks and months and years, we can commit to a radical life of prayer connecting to you. And then, Lord, you just cast vision and you say, what would King of Kings be? What would the overflow and impact of this prayer life be? And, Lord, I say, let it be so. 
So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.